It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? Fortune Cribs can help. Fortune Cribs helps investors buy short-term rentals in select markets around the country for as little as 10% down with cash on cash returns in the 20 to 30% range. Fortune Cribs will design, furnish, and manage all the day-to-day operations, making your experience truly hands-off. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your real estate investing journey, whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your portfolio, Fortune Cribs can help. So if you want to take the next step, go to fortunecribs.com and book your free consultation to see how Fortune Cribs can best help you. Once again, that's fortunecribs.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Dennis Shapiro. And today we are the Two Smart Assets. For those not yet familiar with Dennis, he is the managing partner of SIH Capital Group, where they provide accredited investors with a simplified strategy to invest for passive income. He is also author of the Alternative Investment Almanac, Expert Insights on Building Personal Wealth in Non-Traditional Ways. And this book is based on his own experience becoming a successful alternative asset investor and contains interviews with some of the best alternative asset investors in the business today. Dennis, my man, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Danny, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Man, excited uh, about what we're going to get into today. You know, we briefly touched on who you are there, but uh, I know there's a lot more to it. So let's just start with that, man. Tell us more about your background, your story, and the path you took to get to where you are today in your real estate investing career. Yeah. So my path goes back to when I was actually 14 years old. My oldest brother gave me a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I read it and I was, I was super cynical at that time. And I was like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He probably makes more money on these talks and the book sales than what he writes about in the book. Uh, but I did get something out of it at that point. I said, you know what, I got to I gotta actually buy an asset. And as a 14-year-old, there's not many assets that you're going to get into. Uh, so I asked, I did probably the stupidest thing you can. And I just went to my oldest brother and I said, hey, what do you think I should do? And he's like, oh, I, I do mutual funds. He's like, I'll set you up with an account and then we could do it. And he actually helped me set me up an account. I remember it was a Scotch trade account at the time. I actually had to pay money for the trade. That's how old I am. <laughs> and, and I bought this mutual fund, didn't know anything about it, followed it for a year. I think it went up $7 for the whole year. And I was like, oh, this, this, this is kind of terrible. I, I, I paid $7. I was, I was checking daily. I, I was always like anxious when I was logging in what the balance was going to be. Um, so I was like, all right, there's got to be a better way because it's going to take me a long time to build some wealth if I'm you know, taking $7 a year making $7 a year. So then I went in the rabbit hole. I started looking at, you know, who does this better than mutual funds? So, you know, the usual names come up, the Warren Buffett, the Peter Lynch's. And I started deep diving into them and I got into like stock picking. My high school years to college, all my friends were like, oh, fantasy this, fantasy that. I was like, how about we, we skip the fantasy and let's just do these like Yahoo's uh, mock portfolios and we could have competition. None of them were takers. <laughs> and I even tried to even like related to how you could compare it to like a fantasy sports team where it's like, okay, if you have a point guard, then that's your, uh, that's your financial institutions. And then shooting guard, that could be your energy fund. And you could have like a diversified portfolio. I tried to even make that correlation. It didn't, it didn't stick very well. Uh, so I was a lone wolf 
for a long time. I went to college. Uh, I went to a business school. I literally applied to one school because it was a business that's all I wanted to do. Got into college, was doing fairly well. And then the great financial crisis happened and I had to pivot. Uh, I ended, I remember I was going for internships and during that process, it was like you, you get on to like two, three different rounds. And in that, in that time period, and this was New York City, I was literally on the second or third round. And these places I was interviewing for went out like business. It was a crazy, crazy time. Uh, so I pivoted, got my MBA, got my first job. And during this whole time period, I was investing in stocks, started building up my own little portfolio. Uh, I wasn't really thinking of income at that time. It was just, you know, all about appreciation. And it was, it was definitely appreciating, rebounded pretty nicely after the great crash. I started working my first uh, job. I, I got recruited by the government. I get my first paycheck. I'm like, wow, it's great. They're not only my employer, they're also my business partner. So I went on, I went home and I started Googling, you know, how do I pay tax, less taxes? <laughs> uh, got a whole bunch of semi-illegal re- responses. <laughs> so, so I went back and I said, you know, how do I pay less taxes legally? And like the whole first page was all about real estate, real estate, real estate. Uh, so that's kind of how I got into alternative investments. And then uh, I was on this path where I had these two different portfolios for a long time period. I have the stock portfolio and a lot of my four, uh, like uh, I worked for the government. So we had TSP. So a lot of my TSP was invested in, in stocks and I had my private securities. But at the same time, starting in 2012, when I, when I started trying to defer some taxes, I started buying some single family houses. I started buying some all, different alternative investments like note funds and ATM funds. And what I started realizing was I had this mentality of like, or, so if I put money in a stock, I can't put it in a, you know, a single family rental, or I can't put it into this fund. And I kept going with this or, 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 and then one day I had this, this mind shift, but I think it occurred where I had my 20th failed income strategy. So this whole time during, since I was 14, I was looking for this portfolio that can both appreciate and produce cash flow. I wanted both. I didn't want one or the other. And the appreciation part, it was it was a given. Like the stock market has a super strong performance, uh, history track record of appreciating as long as you don't sell uh, during the emotional times. Uh, so the appreciation part I got, but it was literally 20 failed income strategies that I realized that there was a problem. I did the REITs, I did the MLPs, I did the utilities. Every single one, the same thing kept happening. I would get outsized yields for the one, two, three years, one, two, three years. And then there would be a 10, 20% correction. And just when these higher yielding plays are supposed to protect you, they no longer protected you because of the way that the algorithms work and everything like that. So you, you go down just as much, but yet you underperform during the rest of the year, but you got a better yield in quotation marks. So I had the strategy of this or, and then what I started realizing was if I focus on my traditional equities as my appreciation play and stop trying to get income out of it, I, I started looking then on the, the flip side on my alternative investments. I was like, wow, I was like, I'm getting so much more cash flow because these are private securities. They're so much more stable. So I could actually bank on this cash flow. I was like, they complement each other like amazingly, I'm like, but no one is talking about it because usually once you get into alternative investments, you get into this philosophy like, oh, this is better. So I'm going to go all in on this. Or you stay on the traditional side and saying, oh, these private securities are a bunch of Ponzi schemes. I'm never touching it. Uh, but I started seeing the real value and actually merging the, the, 
the two different, um, I guess, ideologies and things started taking off after that. Yeah, uh, I think that's awesome, man. And, you know, the fact that you guys started backing up, you know, you guys started at such an early age, I think is awesome. And, and, and I kind of want to ba- uh, go off of the, what you just said. There's a lot of stuff I want to back up on, but I do want to touch on something you just said. You know, you really, as you begin to dive into, you know, the alternative investment world, you realize there's a ton of different directions you can go, right? I mean, there's so much stuff you can invest in, you know, even for yourself, this point, you've invested in uh, numerous different alternative investments, you know, uh, so for an investor who is starting to consider diversifying, diversifying outside of, you know, the traditional route, uh, can be, you know, a bit overwhelming at first, I think. So I, I know I kind of just stumbled into uh, syndications, which was what we talk a lot about on the show, real estate syndications. Uh, and then it became really obvious to me as soon as I found out about this strategy that it was going to fit for me very well, right? Just the way that my strategy is, is lined up. And at that point, kind of to your what you spoke about before was I drastically shifted my portfolio allocation to align with that strategy, right? I went from a lot of stocks, a lot of stuff like that, and single families, uh, rentals and stuff like that. And then I moved almost all of it into syndications because I thought, man, this is amazing, right? But to your point, I can see exactly where you're coming from, that these things should complement each other, right? You know, we have stocks or whatever, and then you go into these alternative investments. Uh, and so I think it personally in my portfolio, I might've gone a little bit overboard, you know, cause I went full into, you know, a lot into syndication. So with that in mind, what are your thoughts on how, you know, maybe a new investor can successfully make that shift? You know, if they're coming from traditional, want to go to, you know, the alternative, uh, maybe you can just talk about how you were able to successfully reallocate your portfolio uh, and maybe include if there was anything you would do differently if you could go back and do it again. Yeah, I, I kind of wish I would have 20 years of failed income strategies uh, <laughs> differently. <laughs> um, but I, I think at the end of the day, what you have to realize, what I look, the way I look at my portfolio, and this is not financial advice, this is sure. just how I personally look at things, is I look at it as a, as a circle. I split the circle right in the middle. And on my left side is just a low-cost index fund, whichever one you want to do it, that's your personal preference. Uh, but one that incorporates, one that's not overly, that's one that incorporates the entire market, whether it's the entire FIFA fund or whatever it is, that's my left side. The reason why I do it that way, where I do approximately 50% of my, my uh, assets that way is because that takes me 1% of my brain power to manage that. Mm. You know, I don't sell, I don't buy and trade. Maybe sometimes I'll turn on CNBC for nostalgic purposes, but it really is. I used to, when I was a stock picker, I was on quarterly, uh, the quarterly calls. I was reading all the analyst reports. I was spending a lot of time. So by shifting to just an index fund, I, I autopiloted, I maybe look at it once, twice a year. And that's basically it. I got my liquidity there and I got my time flexibility from that portion. Now, the right side of my portfolio, that's all sliced up into these different alternative investments. Because the focus there is cash flow. Cash flow is king on my right side. So whenever you're dealing with cash flow, I want as many buckets as possible on the right side. So that's kind of the way I look at it. And the reason is it, it could take a little while to develop each slice of that right side of your portfolio. Because yeah, the language carries over really well, but there are some nuances between mobile home park investing and apartment building investment or self-storage investing. So it takes a little longer to develop. It also requires a lot more networking. It takes up 99% of my time is my right side of that portfolio. That's why I allocated so much to the left side of the portfolio, because that allows me the flexibility and the time flexibility to really become a good alternative investor. Because if you're going to just go in and just plop a bunch of money, these private securities are expensive. You could be out of capital really, really quick. And then 
And then you've learned something. And now that's when you should have been investing, but you're already out of capital at that point. So that's kind of the way I look at portfolio management. I look at it as, again, I, I tried to, I, I incorporated both of them together. And that's where I figured the pie chart is like the best uh, reference and easiest uh, thing for your listeners to, uh, to imagine. Yeah, I appreciate you diving into that and explaining that, man. That that provides a lot of context for listeners thinking, hey, what does this look like potentially if I were to move forward? And again, this is not any sort of advice or anything, but it's good for them to kind of picture, you know, how this may work. So I kind of want to back up for a second. You know, we're talking about alternative investments, and I know some listeners might be thinking like, well, I don't, I'm not really sure what an alternative investment is. I mean, obviously, real estate, we talk about that. So uh, when you say alternative investments, you know, can you just dive into a little bit more about what those are, and especially if they're not real estate related, what those may be? Sure. That's a great question. So when I wrote my book, The Alternative Investment Almanac, the first thing I did for that book was like, all right, let me try to pinpoint a definition for what is an alternative investment. Right. And I think I spent like two weeks looking <laughs> for this definition and I could not find one that I was in love with. So I finally kind of created my own. And if this works for anybody, then it's great. But this is kind of my own definition of alternative investment. Anything that's not traded on um, on a public market, that to me is an alternative investment. So for example, Bitcoin, you could log into a Coinbase, you could trade anytime. I don't even consider like Bitcoin and crypto as, as alternative at this point, because it's extremely volatile, it's extremely mm. liquid. That's what I would classify a traditional investment as, even though people would associate it as alternative. So anything that can't be traded at, at, you know, in a second, like, like real estate, like, like private securities, like syndications, like mobile home parks, self-storage, uh, life insurances, life insurance policies, uh, all of those things, uh, collectibles, all of that stuff would fall under the alternative investment category. Yeah, I, I love to hear that, man. And, you know, I was actually having a conversation with somebody the other day about uh, real estate and kind of the future of, uh, you know, real estate investing and, you know, their potential of uh, tokenizing real estate, right? And making that uh, extremely tradable. And so I was thinking, you know, what does that do to real estate in general in terms of investing? So I find it very interesting. I, I do. That. That's a great point. I personally, and I know some really respected names in the space. They're basically saying it's not when, I mean, it's not if, it's, it's a when situation. Sure. But me personally, I would absolutely hate that because my like favorite attribute of these syndications is that they are private securities and they cannot be traded at the, at the drop of a dime. So for me, that would be a terrible thing. And like I, I, I go back to, so when I first started posting on social media, I remember I, I wrote this article and I put the five best attributes of alternative investments. And mm. number five was the fact that they're not liquid. And my oldest brother, the same oldest brother, actually heard like read the article and he's like, he's like, he's like, Dennis, you gotta change that because no, liquidity is always a plus. And I'm like, no, read the article. You gotta see what I said. Um and I, I always give this reference. In March 2020, I was an investor in individual stocks and I had a private security portfolio. I had both. I also had REITs because at that time, I still haven't given up on finding the perfect income strategy. So I had REITs in my traditional portfolio. In March 2020, during COVID, the stock market was down 34% uh, in, in those couple of months. Those REITs were down 34% as well. They went line for line. I even have a picture in my book of that chart. And on my right side of my portfolio, all of my private security stuff, and the underlining asset is exactly the same, right? The underlining asset sure. in a REIT is still real estate. 
And the underlying asset in a private security that, uh, that's focused on buying real estate is also real estate. That did not trade hands. No one, no one sold. There was like, if you were in the syndication world, there was a six month period where there was a pause and let's see attitude. So the, the buyers were out in droves looking for blood on the street pricing. The sellers were like, hey, wait a minute. This might not be as bad as it seems. Plus, there's whispers that there's going to be all the stimulus money. I'm not going to go sell at a 50% on the, a 50% dollar. And now there was this discount and nothing traded hands. So like to me, I look at it. I'm like, wow, on one hand, my portfolio is down 34%. On the other hand, my portfolio is not down at all because nothing is trading hands. I'm like, wow, my right side of my portfolio, my alternative investment is making a lot of sense right now because wouldn't you as an investor want a pause in a situation of pandemic and panic? Wouldn't you want that pause and evaluate versus logging in and the futures are down, what, 10% in one day? You know, that's, that's blood on the street. And how can that not affect your emotional well-being? But if you were an investor of both alternative and traditional at that time, maybe half of your portfolio was down a lot and then half your portfolio wasn't down at all. And now you could turn around and you're not down 50%. You're only down 20%. Yeah, that's dramatic, but it's not as dramatic. And then you could see the positives of doing both. You know, Dennis, I'm so glad you brought that up, man. That's a great point. And actually, I haven't heard it said that way uh, before. So I think that's very interesting. And I think a lot of people should listen to that because like you said, uh, a lot of these these guys who are really into, you know, getting into tokenization, it's more of a of a when thing, right? And so it's uh, it's definitely interesting. Be, be curious to see how this pans out. You mentioned syndications, man. We talk a lot about syndications on the show, like I said, and much of the talk somewhat recently is about pricing and how crazy it is, right? Especially multifamily, stuff like that. Uh, and basically how much longer can this go on? You know, I'm a passive investor. Many of the listeners of the show are as well. Uh, therefore, you know, many of us know that the most important piece of the syndication puzzle is the sponsor. You know that, I know that, we all know that, right? So with that in mind, what are some things that maybe you're looking for in terms of deals, uh, syndicators, or maybe passive investors, something passive investors should be paying extra careful attention to when they're looking at commercial real estate deals right now in this environment? Sure. So I think that this environment is tricky, but it's not much different than six months ago, nine months ago. The only thing that's really different in this environment is the interest rate uh, volatility. Mm. That's a whole different topic in itself. Sure. Uh, but I always, one of my mentors always said, you know, a good deal, a, a good operator can save the worst deal. A bad operator can take the best deal. So number one is the operator. But then how can you tell which one is a good operator? The problem is the Jobs Act 2012. Syndications almost has become a brand building. And it's not necessarily the best operator that will get a lot of business. It's the best brand that will get a lot of business. And you still, everything is private. So you're not actively going out there. And you're not going to hear bad things unless you are really networking. Sure. So what I would say is there's a couple of things. I'll give a couple of tips as one, as a fund operator, what we look for, for our deals. So I'll give one quick tip that has always served me well, because it was also a mistake that I did. And you learn more from the mistakes. Uh, never go into a, an op, never invest with an operator that's going into a new market with a new property manager. That combination is really, really bad. <laughs> they are going to be dating on your expense. Right. Uh, so avoid that. Uh, next thing is also intern um, classes. I would probably say the lower class, like class C uh, properties, 
you want to avoid properties that have overwhelming majority of one unit, one uh, one bedroom units. Mm, okay. Uh, so those are my two biggest tips as a simple investor that can help you screen a lot of deals. Because sometimes as a newer investor, you'll get blinded by a high unit count. So it's like, right. oh, it's 180 units. That's great. But 150 of them are one bedrooms. Good luck. If, good luck managing and maintaining a high, you know, occupancy with that. And mm-hmm. just the the simple logic is that people in one bedroom are very transitionary uh, and, and they are, they go from, okay, you know, it's a single person in their twenties. Now they meet another single person in their twenties. One of them is moving, right? Or it's a couple and they're fine in that one bedroom, but now they have a kid. Uh, or, you know, it, the answer is, you know, a million different things. Two bedrooms and three bedrooms can, can attract usually small families. And if their families are not growing, they could stay there for a while. And especially three bedrooms, three bedrooms, the occupancy rates usually are really, really strong with three bedroom units. So if possible, avoid a new, I mean, avoid an operator in a new market uh, with a new property manager with a high one bedroom unit count. And you will probably screen out a lot of bad deals to start with. Um, yeah. Now that's, that's okay, sorry, Dan, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was saying that's was, was a great point. Keep going. If you got more, give us another tip, man. Yeah, so I would say that that's some some basic stuff. Um, the other thing is, look what debt is being secured on the property. That is so big. Uh, I did a lot of research during the the fin- uh, financial crisis from 07 to 09. There's been a couple of white papers. And when you look at the default rate of commercial real estate during that time period, uh, there was a, if the property was secured by agency debt, and don't quote this, this is off the top of my head. Sure. It was like a less than a 1% default rate at that time period. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, really, you know, that's a really tough time period. Now, if it was non-agency debt, and do you want to define what agency debt is versus- Sure, go ahead. That'd be great. Yeah. So agency debt is debt that's provided by Freddie and Fannie. And usually that's the best type of debt. It's the lowest rates. Um, It's fixed. So it's not changing usually. Um, So it's more geared for long-term buy and hold. Now, the the usual, the alternative, the, the most common alternative is what's called bridge debt. And with bridge debt, you usually don't lock in those lower rates and they can be called upon. And those that bridge debt usually is exactly what it's, it, the name says. It's a bridge. It's a loan that's supposed to reposition the product. So you could then go on and get a, a, a long-term mortgage product in its place. The problem is if something happens, like an 07 to 09 happens, and you can't get that long-term debt, that's when you deal with a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. So that white paper that I read was that, under 1% for agency debt during that time period, but non-agency debt, and this is even like private banks stuff, a lot of them recall the loans, which a lot of people don't understand. There is a recall provision. Even if they're still making their payments, they could just call in the the loan at that point. Mm -hmm. And those are the loans. There was like an 8% default rate. So it's a staggering difference. So basically going into these next three years, if anybody has been investing in syndications, a big mistake that I'm seeing right now is that people that are going in today are making the same assumptions that people were going making three to four years ago. And that's super dangerous because three to four years ago, it almost didn't matter what deal it was. It has it's basically exiting like at, with a double the, the, uh, like this year or next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but next three to four years might be completely different. So even operators that you might really like that did really well three, four years ago, it doesn't mean that they're going to do really well in the next three, four years. Look at the fundamentals of the deal, you know, potentially do some underwriting skills and then really lean on your network and see, you know, what is being, what, what's out there and what's going on. 
Yeah, I appreciate you uh, sharing that stuff, Dennis. That's a uh, that's great tips, uh, especially for passive investors out there. Definitely good things to look into. I kind of want to continue this conversation about alternative investments. I know personally a lot of guys and gals that are right now heavily weighted into stocks and bonds and stuff like that, looking to get into alternative investments. And one of the questions they're asking is, "Hey, where do I start?" Right? And so, you know, they're asking me, "What are some good resources that I can point them to?" And actually, this is probably a great time to talk about your book. Um, you know, the alternative investing almanac, but you know. Talk, talk some more about that book and how this can help somebody who's looking to get into alternative investing. Sure. And before I mention my book, I just want to throw out one tip that I always have whenever I'm on the call with any investor that's heavily weighted with traditional investments is one thing to do is if you do have a large portfolio in stocks and bonds, uh, there are, if you reach out to whoever your brokerage is, a lot of brokerages, what they do is they could offer you a line of credit on that account and you don't actually have to sell the asset and it's not margin. Mm. It is a completely different product. Uh, You just have to make sure you're not doing it on margin because the line of credit is that your portfolio is going to be securing those assets. It's not money that you don't have versus that, which is what a margin is. Uh, So a lot of times I have people who are, who are fearful of missing out of the gains that the stock market could do. So this kind of solves that problem is it allows them to not miss out, but at the same time, give them access to capital that the private securities can do. And a lot of these line of credits that these brokerages offer, their one contingency is you can't invest more money in stock. You can mm-hmm. do whatever you want, but you can't buy more money in stock. So it could be a great solution for a lot of people out there who really like both spaces. So I just wanted to mention that really quickly. Uh, and then I'll, I'll mention my book. So I wrote the Alternative Investment Almanac uh, expert insights on building personal uh, building uh, personal wealth in non-traditional ways. And the reason why I wrote the book is that even though the title is the Alternative Investment Almanac, I really wanted to bridge the two ideologies together. I wanted to show the traditional side that alternative investments are not this big, scary uh, boogie monster, that they're really accessible. And it might take you 12 to 24 months, but you can create a nice portfolio and have certain advantages for it. It's not all Ponzi schemes. Like, you know, sometimes they get scared with media right. or or Uncle Rob who lost money in real estate or something like that. Uh, so that's the first thing I wanted to do was to say that, hey, it's actually not complicated. It's not necessarily easy, but it's not complicated. If you read the book, a lot of the mystery gets kind of taken off. It talks about being accredited, not being accredited, sophisticated. Uh, it talks about different options like apartment buildings, mobile home parks, self storages, um, life insurance policies. We do ATM funds. Uh, we do private, uh, do note funds. So we, we have a whole bunch of common alternative investments that a lot of people in our space uh, dabble in. And then I also wanted to show the alternative investment world was that there were still some benefits of maintaining a traditional portfolio. And you know, that that should still, I, I still want it to come off because I really want it to be an end guy and not an or guy. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's part of the reason why I wrote my book. Yeah. I'd love to hear that, man. I know a lot of our listeners will be uh, interested in finding out more about that because they're looking into a similar strategy. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Dennis, you know, this has been a great conversation, but before we get out of here, man, tell us more. I know you got a fund, you got some other stuff going on. Tell us about that, man. Yeah, so the best place to reach me is if uh, for the, if you guys are interested in the book, go on Amazon, The Alternative Investment Almanac. Uh, my name is Dennis Shapiro. My first name is spelled with one N, not two. Uh, but to reach me, the best place to reach me, contact me, is if you go on my website, sihcapitalgroup.com 
capital with an A. Actually, capital. I, I don't know why I never had trouble with this question. And then people start asking me, <laughs> is it with an A and not all? So it's a capital with an A. Uh, so SIH Capital Group, if you go on, you could click learn more. I also have an abridged version of my book for free ebook. So if you sign up to my email list, I send that out as well. And, you know, if, if you're interested, reach out. I'm always happy to talk about alternative investments and traditional in terms of I won't tell you which stock to pick, but I'll show you how to actually incorporate both into your portfolio. Dennis, we're going to make sure to put all that stuff on our show notes so our listeners can find it, reach out to you and learn more, man. Hey, you know, this has been a great conversation. Like I said, really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today, Dennis. You got it. Thank you for having me on. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.